Amen. Well, if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to the book of Ezra, we're going to be in Ezra chapter 1 this morning. And this is what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All the neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus bought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them bought by Meredith, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the inventory. Gold dishes, 30. Silver dishes, 1,000. Silver pans, 29. Gold bowls, 30. Matching silver bowls, 410. Other articles, 1,000. In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver. Shezbazar bought all these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Well, we're well into our sermon series now, which we have entitled The Journey, where we've been looking at significant journeys throughout Scripture and how God used these journeys and how God spoke on these journeys and what this means for us as a church today. And in many ways, from here on in, our sermon series begins to take a little bit of an exciting twist because our focus begins to shift slightly to what is to come for us as a church. At our last church partners meeting, if you remember, if you were there, we looked back together as a church at all the things that God has done and all the things that God has been saying and who we are as a church and what that might mean. Now we're going to begin to talk about the future together. And to help us do that, we're going to look at this passage a little bit in detail in Ezra chapter 1 together today. If you've been part of the church for a while, you may remember that after the first lockdown, we did a series together looking at the book of Nehemiah. In our Bibles, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah are two separate books. But in Hebrew tradition, they're actually one book entitled Ezra, and Nehemiah is the second part of that book. And the reason that we studied that book together at that time is because in many respects, my personality 
is a little bit at times like a bull in a china shop. My personality is to run on head first, lead the way into something, sometimes maybe not thinking too much about it. Um, and as a result of that, after the first lockdown that we had together, I thought to myself, great, COVID is over. We can rebuild together as a church now. It's all going to be brilliant from here on in. We'll rebuild and we'll go forward and we'll go stronger together. But the reality was that that wasn't really the case, was it? Because then a second lockdown hit and then a third and it carried on for a while in a bit of a state of turmoil. No one really knew or understood what was going on. And in many respects, it's only the last 12 months or so where things have begun to feel a little bit like what we might describe as normality. And I do believe, therefore, that now is the time for us as a church to talk about what the future holds for us as a church and what God is calling us to do and where God is calling us to go. And I want us as a church to dream big dreams together for what the future might hold for us. And with that in mind, let's look at this incredible account this morning in Ezra chapter 1. What I want us to see above everything this morning are really three simple things. God has a plan that God uses people and he stirs the hearts of people and God's plans are fulfilled by his people. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of this book, and in particular this chapter, just a very brief history lesson as to how we got to this point in Scripture and how we've ended up where we are at. So in the book of Exodus, God calls his people out of slavery and out of Egypt, if you remember. He uses a man called Moses to lead the people out of slavery. And then what happens is this group of people, the Israelites, they end up on the edge of the promised land, the land that God promised them many, many years before. But the problem was, at this point at least, these people, they doubted the goodness and the grace of God. And as a result, God allows this group of people to wander around in the desert for 40 more years until a new generation of people come along who were able to trust him and trust him with their whole hearts. Then Joshua turns up and Joshua leads this group of people into the promised land, the land which has been promised long ago, a land which the Bible tells us is flowing with milk and honey. And the people of Israel, they finally have a land of their own and they become established in that land. And once they become established in that land, what they do is they look around at all of the other kingdoms of the earth and what they see is all of the other kingdoms of the earth have earthly kings. So they go to God and they say, God, we want an earthly king. Give us, God, an earthly king. And after months and months of moaning and nagging about getting an earthly king, God gives them a king. And the king that God gives the people of Israel epitomizes what a king should look like. He is a foot taller than everyone else. He is a fantastic hunter. He has muscles to die for. The girls want to be with him. The guys want to be him. But Saul's characteristics were very similar to that nation who doubted God and his goodness and his grace in the desert. And because he doubted God and his goodness and his grace, he offers sacrifices which weren't acceptable to God. And thus he is removed as king of Israel. Then another king is brought to the throne. But this king, he's totally different from Saul. 
In fact, he wasn't even considered to be king at first. There was a man called Samuel who was asked to go to a man called Jesse's house. And God said, go to Jesse's house and I want you to line up all of his sons and I'm going to pick a king out of one of his sons. And that's what happens. But Jesse forgets about one of his sons and he leaves him out on the field looking after the sheep. But it's this shepherd boy who is chosen to be the next king. And under this shepherd, the nation of Israel begins to flourish. The threats against Israel are quashed under his leadership, but then he dies. And another king comes to the throne, a man called Solomon. Solomon is David's son. He builds a temple to the Lord. Peace reigns in the land. Israel establishes itself as a regional power. But Solomon, after him, it begins to get a little bit tough for the nation of Israel. You see, what happens after Solomon dies is the nation becomes fragmented into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, which was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. The northern kingdom, they didn't fare too well. They had wicked king after wicked king after wicked king. And finally, a group of people called the Assyrians turn up on the siege, and they laid siege on the scene, and they laid siege to the northern kingdom, and they deport all of the Israelites and they spread them across their empire. The southern states, they held on for a little bit longer, 136 years to be precise. But then they are ransacked by the Babylonians, and the same thing happens to them. They're spread throughout the land. Now, fast forward slightly, the Persians show up on the scene, and they decide that they are going to rule the world. So they conquered the Babylonians, who conquered everyone else. And then we get to the book of Second Chronicles, where the Holy Spirit tells Cyrus, who is the king of Persia, that the Jews should be released to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And that's where we get our book, Ezra and Nehemiah, from. And that's where we come into it today. And we pick up the story of Ezra in Ezra chapter 1 with Cyrus, the king of Persia, making a proclamation to the people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And we read this in Ezra 1 verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it writing. I read this this morning and I find it absolutely fascinating because here is Cyrus who is a Gentile king allowing people under his rule and his reign to leave and to go back to their homeland in order to build a temple and a city which has been destroyed. But it's easy to look at this passage and miss the point. We can look at this verse in particular and we can think, well, Cyrus just woke up one day, he had a moment of weakness, a moment of nostalgia, and he thought, oh, go on then, I'll let the people go. It's about time they were let off the hook and they can go back to where they come from. But Ezra 1 verse 1 tells us differently. Ezra 1 1 tells us that Cyrus did this in order to fulfill the words spoken to Jeremiah. What word is he referring to? Well, he's actually referring to that well-known passage that actually probably many of us can quote off by heart, that some of us probably have pinned to our fridges and we send in greetings cards. When we read in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. We hear those words and we think, ah, 
they're nice words, aren't they? That's so encouraging. And it is true. They are nice words. And they are encouraging. And they apply to us today. They're heartwarming. But too often we miss the point and we miss the context of what is actually being said here. Because although those words do universally apply to each and every one of us, they are very specific to a group of people at a very specific time. Because directly before that verse, this is what verse 10 says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Do you see what is going on here? When Cyrus declared this decree to send the people back, this wasn't just him acting on a whim. This was God's plan being worked out all along. You see, the people of God found themselves in captivity, but God wasn't going to leave them there. He had a plan to rescue, he had a plan to redeem, and he had a plan to restore. I don't know about you this morning, church, but that gives me hope. Because that reminds me that whatever I am going through in my life, whatever I face, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent, that God is in control that God is on the throne, that God knows what he is doing. And even when I don't comprehend what he is doing, even when I can't understand what he is doing, even when I don't see him working, I can have confidence that he is working and he's working all things together for good for those who love and trust in him. I believe, church, this morning that this is a general word for us as a church right now, but I also believe this is a specific word today for some. Maybe you're here in this room or you're watching online where life feels a little bit tumultuous at the moment, where life feels like it might have been thrown upside down at the moment, and you're like, God, I just don't understand what you're doing right now. Today, we need to see that God has a plan, and he has a plan for you and for your life. I believe that God wants to say to you, I have a plan for you. Things might be hard right now. Things might be tough right now. You might not know where you're going right now, but I have a plan. For the believer, it's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 when we, he says this, we are hard pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life might also be revealed in our mortal body, so that death at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Christ and present, present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose hearts. 
Though outwardly we might be wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, which far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what on is unseen. Since what is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know, when you're in it, sometimes you don't see it. You don't see what God is doing. And sometimes it can be hard to comprehend. And it's only when we look back that we see that God was with us every step of the way. I can testify that in my own life. There have been times where I have not known what God is doing, but looking back, I can see his hands with me every step of the way. I remember the first time I ever heard the voice of God. I was on an orientation weekend for a short-term missions trip that we were doing as a church in Kenya. And at that time, for me, all I wanted to do in my life was be a chef. And I remember going to this orientation meeting and hearing God speak to me in the meeting and say, Luke, catering is not for you. I've got something else planned for your life. I was 16 at the time. So I said, great. And I went back to my youth leader and said, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to work for Jesus. And he said, Luke, that's stupid. You need to go to college. You need to get some qualifications. And you need to find out what God is going to do and allow him to lead you along the next step. And that's exactly what happened. For me, I did go to college and I went to this trip in Kenya. And when I was out in Kenya, I met someone who worked for London City Mission. And through that, God opened the doors for me to join London City Mission. And over the course of my life, I've had some tragic moments and some highs, and every step of the way has led me to where I am today. But ask me 10 years ago where God was leading me, and the reality is I didn't really have much of a clue. When we're in it, we don't necessarily see it, but God is still working, and he has a plan for your life. And today, some people need to hear this. You don't know what's going on in your life right now. You don't know the up to down, left to right. But God has a plan for you. Today, the call is simple. Even when you don't see it, trust him. It's what we read in Psalm 20 verse 7 where it says, Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our gods. The second thing that I want us to see from our passage today, that it is God who stirs the hearts of people. So the call is made in Ezra chapter 1, verse 3, that any of the Lord's people may go back to Jerusalem to build the temple. And any in the locality are to provide with silver and gold and livestock. What we see unfolding here before our eyes in Scripture is quite remarkable. It's effectively a second exodus. Just as Pharaoh back in Exodus let the people go from Egypt and go towards the promised land, what we see here is Cyrus letting the people go from captivity back to freedom. Just as people in Israel plundered the Egyptians for gold and silver as they left Egypt, what we see here is that people are giving voluntary gifts to support the rebuilding of the temple. What we see effectively is God restoring the fortunes of his people. But often God does that from the most unlikely sources. Sometimes we think that God only works through his people to bring about his plans and his purposes. But scripture teaches us that God will use all things to accomplish his plans. He rules over leaders and workers. He rules over the world leaders to achieve his purposes. In fact, 
Cyrus even recognizes this himself, doesn't he? Verse 2, he says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he appointed me to build a temple in Jerusalem. And we see it in other parts of Scripture as well, don't we? God uses a donkey. He uses a prostitute. He uses someone who is going to ultimately betray him to bring about his plans and his purposes. God stirs the hearts of those in order to bring about what he wants to do. And if that's the case, God can and he will use you and I for his glory. God has a plan and God stirs the hearts of people. And that brings me to the final point this morning. God's plans are ultimately fulfilled by his people. Who is it that's going back in our account today? What we need to realize is that the task ahead was not a glamorous calling that these people were called to. It wasn't easy, and it certainly wasn't convenient. The people were called to go back to a land where they hadn't lived for at least 60 years. That probably means that the vast majority of people who were going back to Jerusalem had actually never lived in Jerusalem at all. Many of them would have been born and raised in Babylon. They would have had jobs and they would have married in Babylon. Also, they were going back to a city which had ultimately been destroyed. They were effectively leaving everything to return to nothing. On top of that, it wasn't going to be an easy journey either. The journey from where they were to return to Jerusalem would have taken them about four months. These people are going to give up everything to start over and to rebuild. But this was the call. And this is what we read in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 5. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And today, that leads us to think about our own journey. Over the past few years, let's face it, it's been pretty tough. But God has been with us every step of the way and through it all. And now I believe that God is saying to his people, it's time to look forward. It's time to rebuild. And I believe that God is beginning in this place to stir up the hearts of excitement in people for what is to come. And I believe that God is causing some people among us to say, do you know what? Whatever God is calling us to here in this place, I am all in. For some, that might mean getting involved in different ministries or birthing new ministries here in this place. For some, that might mean being more generous with our time and our talents and our resources. For some, that's just a commitment to say, I'm going to pray every single day for our church community. And I'm going to, the prayer is that as a church community, we're going to be discerning this together over the course of the coming weeks and months. And that holy excitement will build up within all of us to say, I am all in. And with that in mind, I want to encourage you to get on board with this discernment process. Perhaps uh, you haven't up to this point, but we want to invite partners of the church and non-partners to come and join us on the 23rd of February as we begin to look at the way ahead together at our next partners meeting. What is this journey going to be like? Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard and it's going to be costly at times. Is it going to be comfortable? No, it's not going to be comfortable. The people left everything in Babylon to return to Jerusalem. 
And when the exiles returned, what did they return to? They returned to rubble. Will everything always be favorable for us? And will everything that we do work? No, we will fill them. If we were to look at Ezra chapter 2 together, we would see a list of the names of people who did go back. Many preferred the comfort of Babylon. The reality is, only a small number of people ended up making the sacrifice and taking the journey and endured the difficulty. But in the end, it was worth it. So today, church, the call is simple for us. Wherever you are at, Whatever is going on in your life personally right now, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is in control. He is working out everything for his good and for his glory, even when we don't see it and perceive it. Today, don't discount what God might be doing just because you don't understand it. God does And he will use the most unlikely sources to bring about his purposes and his plans and his will. And today, church, let us all make a commitment to position ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us. To do a work in our hearts, to stir our hearts for what is to come. And let's make a commitment to say, God, even though I don't understand it, I am all in. Let us open ourselves to the possibilities of what God might have for us on this journey. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And we're going to worship together in song in response. And I want to allow some time for the Holy Spirit to move among us again today. It's been really encouraging the past few weeks as we've just seen God's just do some amazing things in this place, bring pictures and scriptures and words of knowledge. And it's been encouraging for us as a church. Equally, I want to invite you this morning, if you want to receive prayer, our prayer team are going to be at the front and at the back this morning. And particularly this morning, if that word was for you, I said at the beginning, my my first point was God simply has a plan. And I said that's a general picture for us as a church, but that's also specific. For some people here, maybe you're here today and you don't know what the plan that God has for your life is right now. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself at a crossroads. Maybe you're here today and everything just feels a little bit up in the air and you're like, God, what are you doing? I want to pray for you today and I want our prayer team to minister to you today that God might begin to show you the next step on your personal journey as well. So why don't we all stand, church? And prayer team, if you can maybe position yourself at the front and at the back. And as we worship in a minute, I'm going to pray first. As we worship in a minute, if you want to receive prayer from our prayer team this morning, specifically for that, or in fact for anything else today, our prayer team would love to pray for you and with you. But let's just take a moment in the silence, just to wait on God, to invite God here, and to allow his Holy Spirit to begin to move. I often say sometimes it's helpful for us to adopt a position or a posture of receiving. So if that's helpful for you, I want to encourage you maybe just to hold your hands out in front of you just as a, a sign you're open to what God might want to do today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here.
never want to hype anything up or pretend. But we want to meet with the true and the living gods. So come, Lord Jesus, and have your way. as we worship together in song if you want to receive prayer I'd invite you to come forward or to the back there'll be people with a lanyard on who will identify themselves as our prayer team and if you believe God might be saying something to you during our worship then do come and share it with me at the front and we'll see if it's a word for the church but let's be open this morning to what God will do and say among us as we worship now